When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Light it up on a Monday, Monday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. We are live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of today's presentation. I am Jeff Howe. Craig Way will be here at some point today. He's still in Fort Worth at Texas TCU Baseball Series. Longhorns won the series yesterday. How about Porter Brown walking it off with a play at the plate of nice dart of a throw from left field. I don't know why they sent the runner from third, because that ball wasn't hit all that deep, but I digress. Texas wins the series yesterday, going for the sweep today, with Tanner Witt as the opener. Going to go an inning, 20 to 30 pitches somewhere in there, so we'll see how that goes. So we'll hear from Craig at some point today, but it is myself, and it is our esteemed producer, who has something in common after this weekend with Ryan Tannehill. We'll get to that in a minute. He's a play-by-play prodigy. He is Cameron Parker. Cam, would you like to know what you and Ryan Tannehill have in common if you haven't figured it out already? I don't know. I'm kind of scared to find out. You both have spent probably more time than you cared to in Big Spring, Texas. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Not bad. Tannehill's from Big Spring, so I don't know if he goes back and gives to the community or whatnot, but no disrespect to anybody from Big Spring. It just doesn't seem like a place where you'd want to spend more time than you absolutely have to. Enjoyed the week. The week. Enjoyed the day there. Uh, it's actually a, a really nice community. Uh, well, I mean, I've only most of the time I spend in Big Spring is at a either a basketball stadium or a baseball stadium. So, was it uh, JUCO baseball? Yes, sir. Which JUCOs was it? We got Howard College and then New Mexico Junior College. Uh, the Thunderbirds doubleheader, uh, number twelve team in uh, Division One of the JUCO program. They, uh, I think, I had. 12 combined home runs in the two games. Um, it, it was it was like a home run derby at, at one point. Got a couple, <laughs> saw a few Texas State commits play, um, some UT Rio Grande Valley commits, uh, UTSA. So nice. some some really great, great players who will be playing, continuing to play in the state of Texas, but the D1 level next season. And even a Purdue commit, a Purdue uh, signee. Well, it makes nice. baby. Somebody on the Specs text line said you and Ryan Tannehill are basically Eskimo brothers at this point. Pretty much. Yeah. Or not at all, but, you know, it's whatever. Uh, Woodworker says, I would have sent the runner to make the defense make a play. I mean, yeah, Porter Brown made a play. Porter Brown not known for his defense, putting away his old team. Was that, uh, that five losses in a row now for TCU? Or five of the, they've lost five of their last six? Yeah. Yeah, because they beat, that's right, they beat Dallas Baptist the other day on that walk-off. 
Specs text line is open 337-3776. All right, Cam, so we've got Sark audio to get to from last week that we still haven't played. And I'll make that producer's choice uh, in the notebook. We'll get to the Ron Holland mess. We'll cover that at the bottom oh. of the hour. Uh, inconceivable to close out hour number one. Uh, then a Longhorn notebook and a flex update in hour number two. Uh, Cam, let's go ahead and talk draft, though. Let's kind of unload the draft notebook right here. Let's start with the Cowboys. You and I are fans of the Dallas football Cowboys. We don't get to talk enough Cowboys. Give me your take. Like, if you, I don't know if you want to grade it, rate it, whatever, or just your general feeling on the Cowboys draft. Because it's one of those drafts where it's not a sexy draft, but it could end up looking pretty good by the end of the season. I think it was overall a very solid draft. I love the Mozzie Smith pick. Uh, It's a need, yeah. Terry defensive line has been a, a huge issue. I mean, going back to like the Green Bay game last season when Dallas had that 14-point lead, Dak threw that pick at the end of the half. But the, the game plan for Green Bay was just, we're going to run the ball until Dallas stops us. And mm-hmm. Dallas never did. And that was an area of concern the entire season. And Matt LaFleur, is, uh, he's of that Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay coaching tree. Matt LaFleur... Loves him some running backs and has no compunction about pounding the rock. And now Dallas finally has that guy in the middle who will take up space. Space Seeders. That's what Dallas really hasn't had. They have great guys on the edge. I love the edge part of the Cowboys. So that was a good need. Um, second round pick, uh, the Michigan tight end. Not not a big fan. I think Dallas reached for him. I think they saw their goal was Kincaid. Kincaid goes off. All right. See, I don't think I don't think Kincaid was the the target there. Okay. Because I keep hearing from, and look, this could be spin, I don't know, but everything I've heard from, you know, David Moore, the morning news, other guys that cover the Cowboys on a day-to-day basis, their tight end board looked a lot different than some other teams had. So I think I think it came down to, even if Kincaid was there, I still think they probably would have gone with Smith. This goes back to the whole, like, Dallas Goddard thing a few years ago. Like when the Cowboys, it was in the second round, and the Cowboys had a pick, and the Eagles jumped in front of them and took Goddard. And it was like, oh, man, they took the Cowboys pick. Well, apparently the Cowboys, was that the Tristan Hill draft, I think? Yeah. Uh, The Cowboys apparently didn't have Dallas Goddard that high. Even if he was there, apparently he would not have been the pick. And, again, that could be spin from the star. I don't know. But that's – I don't know, again, that if Kincaid was there that he would have been the pick. But you're right, Cam. It's a need. And I think it was a deal where they probably felt like, look – uh, we have we, they wanted to come out of there with two thin needs, uh, two holes filled. Obviously, based on their first two picks, they needed a run stuffing defensive tackle who could occupy blockers, mm-hmm. and they wanted a tight end. They felt like based on how they valued Schoonmaker, they probably felt like okay, we'll get Mozzie Smith now because the tackles that are going to be there at what was their pick in the second round fifty eight, the tackle crop at fifty eight is not going to be nearly what we need to have an impact. In other words, they felt like they could get an impact tight end at 58. The same was not true for defensive tackle. So take the tackle now, take the tight end at 58. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's probably – I know when you're talking about a Jerry Jones run draft, you're trying to apply a logic to an illogical situation. <laughs> but if I'm trying to psychoanalyze the Cowboys and their approach, that's probably how they felt. Yeah, and I think they also didn't expect to see Laporta go so early in the third round. And then a couple more tight ends come off. That was way earlier than a lot of people were expecting him to go. Like I heard like mid two to maybe early three grades on him. But I think he was he's a great prospect, and I think a lot of NFL teams also realized that. I just thought Shoemaker, 
I don't think he's an upgrade over Jake Fender, Jake Ferguson, excuse me, or Hendershoot. I just I don't think he's. I think you could have gone somewhere else. I would have loved to have gone. I mean, I know they added Deuce Vaughn. Maybe I'm just being Homer here. I would have loved to rather have just Roshan. But I'm speaking of Roshan Johnson, his teammate Demo. That was a great pick. I think what Dan Quinn's going to be able to work with with Overshown. We saw Micah Parsons in his career. How Dan Quinn has moved him all over the field. Mm-hmm. That's what Overshown is. I mean, yeah. I don't know if he's played in one particular position for what an entire season at Texas. Well, you got to think too. If you look at his just his his trajectory as a player, you go back to his freshman year, and he he battled some injuries early, but he was a safety, and then he played. Uh, when they had that cowboy package under Todd Orlando, he was that that dime back or that extra defensive back. Uh, and then you know Chris Ash moves him to linebacker, plays pretty well. You know the by the end of the 2020 season, he and Jawan Mitchell seems like Jawan Mitchell was here about a decade ago, but it was only a couple of years ago. By the end of that 2020 season, he and Jawan Mitchell were playing pretty well. But then you bring in a new defense and a new coordinator and a new position coach, and then you saw how good he was last year when, one, he was healthy, and two, he had a full year in a defense, and then really was just adding on top of that knowledge base. He was one of the best linebackers in the Big 12 last year. Yeah. So I I think, I know it's a cliche deal that people are saying with Overshone. I do think, based on how his career has developed to this point, I do think his best days are ahead of him. Dan Quinn really understands positionless football. On that side of the ball, we talk about it all the time on offense. But you look at the hybrid guys that he's had. I mean, there was a time, Cam, when he was in Atlanta, they took Keon O'Neill with a first round pick. I'm like, why are you taking a, an oversized safety? Well, because Dan Quinn knew I'm not going to use him as a deep safety. Yep. I'm going to have him basically be like a hybrid guy. Jaron Curse is that guy for them. We know how they use Micah Parsons, so I think Overshone will fit in nicely into what they do. It's interesting though. You know, could they have had both? Could they have had Roshan and Emo? In other words, could they have taken Roshan at 90, thinking, okay, maybe Demo will be there at, what, I think they had 129, mm-hmm. 128, 129 in the fourth 129 round. 129 round four. Unless they thought, look, Overshone's not going to be there. Take him now, and you feel like you can still get a good running back, even though I, I think for the Cowboys it was interesting the way things fell because – there was a run on running backs, and they. I think Roshan would have been their guy. There, there was that run of running backs where they missed out on Roshan. There was that run on tight ends where whoever their guy was, it might have been Laporta, but whoever their guy was, you know, they had to kind of settle for the last option there. And you know, there was a run on. They wanted a wide receiver. There was that run on wide receivers where they couldn't get one. They wanted to come out of this thing with a quarterback. There was that run on quarterbacks where they didn't get one. Like you had. Within a couple of picks, was it Stetson Bennett went? And you had a couple other guys mm-hmm. come off the board. Was Hendon Hooker right around that point too? Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, that run on quarterbacks. I think they really would have liked to have, to assign Max Duggan as an undrafted free agent. But my thing was, okay, there's already been a run on quarterbacks. If you like Duggan, why not use Strap your six, your sixth yeah. round pick? It's a throwaway pick anyway. Just take him with your six. But so I think it's got a chance. I'm with you. I think solid probably is maybe the ceiling for this draft class. It fits needs, but. I think they left some meat on the bone, some position groups that they would have liked to take. Anything that you just out-and-out question, Cam, that's like, eh, I wouldn't have done that if I was them. Is it, is it the tight end situation? Probably the tight end situation. Um, if, you don't, if you don't like your guy there at two, then why not just trade down? Yeah. Why not trade down, 
get like an early third, and then you can go and take a running back, whoever you like. Maybe it was A-Chain. A-Chain went a few picks before. I know he's kind of fast, just kind of just like Pollard. I just feel like they kind of reach on that tight end spot. Um, but besides that, like, I mean, it's solid draft. Now, what concerns me, Jeff, is that the Eagles, I think, had <laughs> a top three draft. They, uh, yeah. I mean, it was there. Was there a better value pick than Moro Ojimo in the seventh Ugh. round? I mean, they're in, every pick they made was just like, that's a great pick. Nolan Smith. It's like, wait, wait, you got so Jalen Carter, who you could argue is the best prospect coming in. Now, now you could also argue that he's a guy, he has the locker room issues, the off the field issues. So it's a luxury pick, right? Because Philadelphia can take a chance on a guy. He can come in. He can be molded yeah. by the veterans in a winning culture, right? Yeah. Now, a team that doesn't have winning culture, maybe like the Falcons or the Redskins, maybe they take him and it doesn't work out for Jalen Carter. The commanders, you mean? Commanders, excuse me. That's right. Commanders, the forgive me. Formerly known. Formerly as known the, as the that, that one team from Washington. Great pick because now your, your defensive line, that's been great. Now you'll be able to take Jalen Carter and maybe you can you know mold him into – a guy who becomes a plus for you. And then Nolan Smith, who is going to be great for those linebackers. They like the fast guys, explosive linebackers. He is just that. I know he was considered a, a top linebacker on a lot of draft boards. He falls down to the 30s. You get Keely Ringo, who I think is a high upside potential cornerback. I loved him coming out of Georgia. I understand why he wasn't why he went to the third, was he the third round pick? Yeah. I think he's going to be, I think it'll be great considering that they're probably going to lose. Both their corners coming up. I mean, you know, CJ Gardner Johnson, uh, Darius Slay, getting a little bit older, a little bit more expensive. That's a good, I think, a plus pick for them. And then Coburn. I mean, another guy who eats up space. He's a guy that can develop in Philadelphia. I mean, where else would you want to go to develop than Philadelphia right now? So, you mean Ojimo? Ojimo. Yeah, Coburn me. went to the Chiefs. Yes. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about, we'll run down the Texas guys here in just a minute. But one more thing on the Cowboys draft. Um, and, and we had a texter make a really good point. Uh, said recent drafts show that they've drafted well. I don't know if you're talking about the Cowboys or the Eagles, but if you look at the Cowboys, even years like take the 2019 draft is the one I'm thinking of, right? You used two top 100 picks on Tristan Hill and Connor McGovern. One guy who you waived, just cut bait with. Mm -hmm. The other guy you let walk in free agency. But how do you save that draft? You save it with Tony Pollard and Donovan Wilson. Yeah, Two guys on each side of the ball are foundational pieces for you. So Really, their their day their day two day three picks, you know. I know the Tristan Hills and the Jalen Smiths like those stand out, but they they've managed to find good ball players. I think if I if I'm looking at the Cowboys draft, the one position that they didn't address that I wish they would have uh, tight end was obvious. But man, tell me wide receiver is not a concern. I know you just got Brandon Cooks right, and you got Ceedee Lamb entrenched as your one, but. You know, Michael Gallup, a year removed from the injury, now a full year removed from the injury. Does he come back and look like the player he was pre-injury? Uh, at this point, Jalen Tolbert looks like one of those second to third round picks that isn't going to pan out. I know it was just one year, but it was a rough year. So I would like to have seen them get a wide receiver before the sixth round. But, you know, at that point, maybe they just, when they picked, it just seemed like they had had a run of receivers where the value just wasn't there. There's some tasty NFL free agents available, Jeff. You want, to, want me to run down them real quick for you? Yeah, yeah, because this is the time where some of those guys that have been waiting a little bit, now teams are going to reassess their needs and, and go attack it in free agency, whatever's left on the... You're, I don't want to say these guys are scrap heap guys, but you're, you know... Some are. 
the, that first wave of free agents is is already done. So it's the, it's a very defensive heavy, like at the very top. But Leonard can you, can Floyd, you, can you give me the wide receivers? I don't even the top ones that I have. I don't even see a receiver up there. Okay, yeah, that's that's the problem. Yeah, Leonard Floyd, Clowney, Donovan Smith, Frank Clark, Isaiah Wynn, Shaquille Griffin, Marcus Peters, Cameron Fleming, Rocky Sin, Ronald Darby, Puna Ford. Puna's uh, a free agent. Yeah, Kareem Hunt. Zeke, Leonard Fournette, Teddy Bridgewater are all guys who are still available right now. Any Man. of those jump out to you as a, as a Cowboys fan? I mean, I didn't know Puna was free. Uh, but now knowing that? Exactly. I might have passed on the defensive tackle and just signed Puna in free agency because he's been really good for the Seahawks. But it could be, a, a, I don't know if it's a deal where maybe he's just it's unfortunate because he played so well and now he's too expensive. Like we were talking about on the, on the Blitz last week, like Malcolm Brown, defensive tackle Malcolm Brown, not running back Malcolm Brown. It kind of sucks for Malcolm Brown because we we're talking about this with Coburn, right? And you saw the Chiefs do this. Every team needs at least one, maybe two, just big space-eating defensive tackles, right? You can't have just a glut of them. You can't build a defensive line with them, but you got to have at least one or two to avoid just getting bludgeoned in the run game. You don't want to get bullied. You got to have a couple of those guys that can hold point. Uh, Malcolm Brown was that guy who was really good for the Patriots. He was good there for the Saints. He was good there for the Jags. The problem with Malcolm Brown is, as a first-round pick and now signing free agent deals, he just got too expensive. Like, Puna Ford was an undrafted free agent. Coburn, it wouldn't shock me at all if Coburn, even if it's not with the Chiefs, it would not shock me at all if Keandre Coburn is an active roster NFL player mm-hmm. in 2023. But you, because you can get those guys cheap, man. That's cheap labor. Malcolm Brown just got too expensive. Kind of the gift and the curse of being a first-round pick at certain positions. And with New England, they just don't want to pay. When they become a free agent, Belichick has a thing where it's like, if I can find you in the draft next year or as an undrafted free agent or as a free agent and pay less, I'm going to do that. They exercised his fifth-year option. They got their five years out of him, and then he was off in free agency. But it's also good because, you know, you make your money, right? you got to go out you you got to get that check. He was a really big part of two Super Bowl championship teams. Not a lot of guys can say that. Uh, Specs text line is open 337-3776. We'll get to some of your feedback here in just a second. But, Cam, so we talked about the uh, the Cowboys draft. Anything with the Texans draft stand out to you, good, bad, or indifferent? Making some big moves. Uh, their GM, uh, I think, knew that it's either put up or shut up time, considering if he had another bad year and some questionable moves, he'd probably be looking for a new job next season. So I'm shocked he, that Nick Casario already isn't looking yeah, for a Casario. new job, but, you know, I digress. C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson – you know, with Anderson, there's been a lot of questions about whether or not he's going to be the Nick Bosa type, and a lot of people seem that he's not. So it's it's interesting that you're going to make a, give up a lot of stuff for the third pick in the take Will Anderson. Now, him with D'Amico, maybe he turns into that, that all-pro type of player, but I don't think he'll be that dominant type like an Aaron Donald or a Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa or Micah Parsons where he can wreck games. I think he's a great linebacker. So I'm I'm interested to see how that pans out for Casario M- moving up that big for Anderson. Now I'm not a Texas fan, Texans fan, but I don't think that this team's going to be any good this season either. It's still going to be a very much a developing year for D'Amico, for Stroud. They have a lot of holes in their roster, but if you want to you know get better, you're going to have to take some risk and chances. So I like that for the Texans for a franchise that I don't feel like really. What's been their biggest move? Trading for what David Johnson a couple years ago? 
Like uh, they have, they have not really done anything that's been too was risky. Was the David Johnson deal before or after the Laramie Tunsil trade? I think that was after. Yeah, that sounds right in my head. I'll tell you what about the Texans draft though. I love what they did from round three on their second pick in round three. Tank Dell getting Tank Dell where they got him. I mean. I know you hear this all the time, but it seemed like there were maybe some early second-round buzz, some second-round buzz on Tank Dell. I think to get him with your second three, that's good value. Dylan Horton from TCU in the fourth, again, a good value pick. Henry Tootoo in the fifth, again, I like that value. Jarrett Patterson from Notre Dame. The fact that Xavier Hutchinson lasted until the sixth round, I think it's criminal. Yeah. To get him with a sixth-round pick is good. So I, I kind of like what they did further on down down the line. With just just getting good value. And what I, what I mean by value is, man, when you get to the pretty much from the fourth, once you get to day three of the draft, I think you're looking for one of two things. You're either looking for tools, right? A guy that he's got elite speed, he's got elite length, he's uh, just a, a, an uber athlete. Just something about him, tools wise, that you say, okay, we can develop him. He's a backup. Maybe he's a practice squad guy. Whatever. We feel like we can develop that tool. Or in the case of Hutchinson, in the case of Toto. At that point, now you're just, you're looking for ball players. You're looking for tools or just ball players, like proven commodities, proven ball players at big time schools. And with Henry Toa with Jared Patterson, with Dalen Horton, Xavier Hutchinson, you got proven commodities, guys that did it at the Power Five level at, at big time programs at a big time level. And you say what you want about Xavier Hutchinson, Iowa State's not a big time program. Well, tell me there was for sure a better wide receiver in the Big Twelve last year than him. Yeah, maybe Quentin Johnston. But go back and watch the Texas tape. Xavier Hutchinson was really, really good. Forget the drop that he had at the end. I know, but he was he was one of the better wide receivers, one of the best skill guys in the Big Twelve. I'll tell you what, Cam, we'll carry this over because we'll talk about the Longhorns draft picks. We'll talk Longhorn draft picks. Uh, maybe you, what do you want to do? You want to get into Sark audio, or you want to talk about the Ron Holland mess? We I, I feel like Texas fans really want to get to the Ron Holland okay. stuff. But we have Craig coming up at 11 o'clock hour, so Craig, we're going to see. Craig, top of the 11? I believe. I don't know if he's going to carry through the entire hour because I know he's meeting with Coach Pierce right now. Texas getting ready to meet with TCU at 1 okay. o'clock. Uh, I believe it's on ESPN2, the Deuce. Is that you? or? No, actually, it's, I think it's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN+. Plus. Okay. Yeah. We, we can do a little Ron Holland. And then just see what Craig's we'll, up to. We'll finish off the uh, the Texas, the, the Longhorns in the NFL draft. We'll also talk about the two undrafted free agent signings and, and one that's that's getting a shot to maybe get on a camp roster. We'll talk about that. And, yeah, we'll dive headfirst into the Ron Holland fiasco. We'll do that when we come back here on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. Rolling along on a Monday edition of Light the Tower, Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker. As Cam let me know during the last segment, Craig will be on with us in the 11 o'clock hour from Fort Worth. As he finishes up that Texas TCU baseball series. Actually, you can hear that game. You're not going to hear it on the horn. AM 1260, 101.9 FM. Also uh, on the Texas Sports, Sports.com, which you can get there through the horn app. So... You can stream it, AM, our other FM signal, but here on the horn is our live local programming throughout the day. All right, Cameron, let's go ahead and get to this hour's edition of The Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. All right, so let's talk about the Longhorns in the NFL as we wrap up the draft. Uh, a couple of notes here. So with three, their first three picks, the first three Longhorns to come off the board went within the first 115 picks. That would be B. John Robinson in the first, Marvin Overstone in the third, Roshan Johnson early in the fourth. 
That, Cam, is the first time in 10 years Texas has had three players selected within the first 115 picks of a draft. The last time that happened was in 2013 when you had Kenny Vaccaro, Alex Okafor, and Marquise Goodwin. We're all still oh, no. in the league, right? Uh, except, for, except for Vaccaro. Uh, Alex Okafor, I don't believe he's, is he's right done. now. Okay. Yeah, I don't think he was not on a team last year. But yeah, Marquis Goodwin's still going strong. But yeah. those, those guys played for a long time. I mean, Kenny played for a long time. Got him a couple really nice paydays with the. Got him his last one was with the Titans, and he was actually a really productive player for the Titans. And then Alex Okafor got him a ring with the Chiefs. Yeah. So uh, three really productive NFL careers. Hopefully for these three guys, it, it goes the productive route. Bijan Robinson, Demarvin Overshone. And Roshan Johnson. Also, I counted Cam. This is the eighth, only the eighth time since the draft went to a seven-round format in 1994. The only the eighth time when Texas has had at least at least five players selected. Uh, would you care to know those other times, Cam, and kind of what what those other times have in common in terms of success for the Longhorns? Let's hear it. So, the other times were the '97 draft. Just coming off the 96 season, coming off seasons where you won back-to-back conference championships, the last Southwest Conference title and the first Big 12 title. The 06 draft, the 07 draft, and the 08 draft, which were Man. core pieces of that national championship team. Then the 2010 draft, which was the core of the 08 and 09 teams. And then you've got 2015 coming off of Charlie Strong's first year, 2021 coming off of Tom Herman's last year, and then 2023 off of Sark's second year. Progress. It does sound like progress. It's a it's a step in the right direction. It beats the hell out of the alternative that we had to sit through last year. There was a with piece, no draft picks. There was a piece last week um, on the Athletic about the relations of five star recruits and how they pan out and the programs and how they're drafted and the I think Texas about twenty five percent five stars from Texas end up getting drafted. What is that? What is that? Uh, what years does that cover? I'd be interested to know because I didn't read it. I think it was from, from 2010 okay. to now. Because Chris Hummer does a five-year kind of running study, studying development rate yeah. of blue-chip prospects, which we consider those guys that are ranked in the top 247 every year. And Texas has been one of, if not the worst, almost every year in his running study at developing blue-chip prospects. Except I think it was either last year or the year before. I think they had crept up like into the like nineteen, eighteen, or nineteen. And that's out of like twenty, I think twenty seven, twenty eight programs. Up to nineteenth. I think I think last year I think Texas had creeped up. A and M was back down to either last or next to last. But now that the draft's over, Chris should be putting out his development study, that running five year study. But yeah, it's no secret Texas has not been good at developing blue chip guys. But look at all the guys that got picked this year, right? Bijan Robinson was a five star guy. Demarvin Overshone. Composite four-star, we had him as a five-star guy. Uh, Roshan Johnson was a composite four-star as a quarterback. Then he goes to running back and ends up making it. Keandre Coburn was a four-star guy. Moro Jomo, I think he might have been a composite three. I can go, I'll go look at that real quick. He might have been a composite three. I know we had him as a four uh, because we liked the fact that just because of his age and the fact that we figured his body would grow, just had some good measurables. Uh, I, I know we had him as a four. If I'm thinking about that right, give me just a second to pull that up. Uh, yeah, composite three star, three ninety nationally. We didn't have him in the top two forty seven. We had him as an unranked four star. Yeah. So again, you're seeing some positive signs. Now I'll say this: we saw some of these signs, and we talked about it, some signs with Charlie Strong. We saw some of these same signs even early on with uh, with Tom Herman. That remember Herman's first draft class was like 
Malik Jefferson and Connor Williams, Deshaun Elliott, Michael Dixon, a lot of guys that are still in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malik still actually signed a futures deal with the Cowboys. So yeah. he's, he's still uh, getting a chance to play in the league. But to me, what separates this draft class is now you look at next year's draft and you're seeing multiple mock drafts. Now I saw PFF put out there, kind of big board. Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, and JT Sanders all kind of projected as potential first-round guys. Now, it's not saying that's going to happen because I think you can go look at the same stuff at this time last year. Yeah. And it's going to look very different from where the first round was this year. But if that happens, if those guys are all potential first-round picks going into next year's draft, that probably means Texas had a high level of success. I'm still crunching some of the numbers from draft weekend, so I'll have some of that tomorrow in terms of correlating draft success with success on the field for Texas. For some programs, it doesn't mean a lot. Like Florida's now one of those programs. Florida's going to put out a lot of picks into the NFL. Florida was 6-7 and seven last year. Uh, NC State, surprisingly, has been one of those. Pro- like NC State and Clemson are like the polar opposite of each other. Clemson, a lot of success on the field. It hasn't really resulted in as much NFL draft success as you would think. NC State, they're not a, a world beater. I mean, Dave Dorn's done a good job with that program. They're kind of a top 20 to 25 program every year. But NC State pr- puts a like an absurd number of guys in the NFL. South Carolina is another one of those. Like, not a great record. Like, with Shane Beamer with an 8-5, and 7-6, and six, somewhere around there. They're putting a lot of guys in the NFL. I don't know how many. South Carolina had six or seven going the draft this year. So some some schools, it doesn't matter. For Texas, there's a direct correlation between draft success and on-the-field success. And But I think the difference is when you look at this draft and you start projecting it forward, you've got those three guys, but then you start to think and you start thinking forward, and you're like, man, when you know Kelvin Banks and some of these young guys that we saw this last year, like Jalen Ford is going to be draft, you know, can, is going to go into the draft next year. But you look at like Kelvin Banks, Terrence Brooks, some of these young cats in this program, when they get to that point where they're draft eligible, you kind of you see a, a point where yeah, this thing can keep rolling a little bit, and now maybe Sark can start having the kind of success he was. He's he said when I asked him the question during spring practice, he said, yeah, they had some five guys go to the combine, and that's great. He wants that number closer to 10 every year and believes it can be closer to 10 every year. So Sark wants one of those one of those deals where every year Texas is putting five-plus draft picks into the NFL. And, I mean, look at Georgia and Alabama. That's what they've done the last five, Ohio, ten years. Ohio State. Ohio State. And where do they finish every year? The college football playoff. TCU had a great year. What, TCU have eight drafted this yeah. year? Yeah. And what happened to them? College football playoff. For Texas, and we looked at it on last Friday, the way too early mock drafts. We saw three guys from UT being drafted. Mm-hmm. Yours, Worthy, and Banks. And Sanders. San- Sanders? Yeah, because Banks, is, Banks isn't draft eligible oh, until the 2025 okay. draft. Yeah. Worthy's the one where I'm like, I, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know. We, we haven't seen a complete season in Xavier Worthy, and you can say, okay, well, I mean, he's hadn't had a – Quarterback play has been iffy. The offensive line has been iffy. He's been injured. All this stuff. I want to see a complete season from Worthy before I'm going to yeah. speak. Before, if I'm thinking that, there's no way NFL scouts are thinking that Worthy's going to be a first round pick. I, I've heard if you if he would have come out uh, if he would have come out this year if he were eligible to, um, he probably would have been like a late three, early four. Yeah, just one one person I trust told me that. Yours. A lot, I think, will ride on how healthy this offense is. I think, obviously, it's going to be Kellen Williams, number one. A lot of guys like Drake May. But I think looking at the class for next season, I think yours is probably that third quarterback. Mm-hmm. 
and we've seen how it goes here with the combine and stuff. Or I mean, the first three of the first four picks this this draft were quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson, he's a project. He's not going to be there to start game one, but he has that ceiling. And for yours, I think yours can have a much better season this year than Richardson did last year because he had the Kentucky game, he had the Utah game, but besides that. There wasn't a lot that was just like, ah, he's completely dominating Like I SEC said, Anthony play. Richardson is the kind of pick that you either look like a genius in three or four years or Chris Ballard's going to be out of a job in the next 12 to 18 months. If you drafted Will Levis, he would have been out of a job because you're basically <laughs> just drafting <laughs> Sam Ellinger. I think Ellinger's a better quarterback than Will Levis, but oh, I'm completely man. biased. Dude, it's going to be tough for Sam to make that roster, though, Cam. Yeah. Like, you know, they still Nick Foles is still there. They just signed Gardner Minshew. They draft Anthony Richardson, and Sam was kind of a, at least for the Frank Reich regime, was kind of a package guy where they could do some different things. Well, that's a perfect way to get Anthony Richardson's feet wet. So, I don't know, maybe at this point, maybe it's just best for Sam to just get out of Indy. Maybe if he can get released and go sign somewhere. I, honestly, because of their styles, dude, I think Sam would be a perfect backup for the Cowboys. Yeah. We kind of just like Colt with the Browns where it's just like, man, like he got his chance, but that was just a really bad organization and just the, probably the wrong team to be on. Yeah, I'm not saying Colt McCoy could have been a a perennial Hall of Famer and a Pro Bowler and a Super Bowl champion. There's but, a reason why Colt's still in the league. Yeah, I I can see Sam having a similar trajectory yeah. where he's just, you know, he's good enough if you need him to spot start during the year, but he's that security blanket. If you want to invest in your backup quarterback, you can invest in Sam Ellinger. Yeah, I think I think he will have a 10 to 15 career. In the NFL, 10 to 15 year career in the NFL, just being, even if he's just a backup quarterback, but he's a great locker room guy. He's a very high IQ individual, and he's someone that you want on your sideline yeah. that can come in. Like he's, I mean, how many times do we see Colt come in a year for the Cardinals because Kyler Murray gets injured? I mean, he he started three games last season, and, and ultimately Colt got injured. But I mean, this is what year 13 of Colt in the league, and he's still trusted to be the number two guy. Dude, and, and, and sign me up. Sign me up to be Dak Prescott's backup quarterback because as much as I love Dak, you know, dude, I've got a pretty good shot to start at some point this year. Yeah, They're going to need me for a game or two. So I know we're putting the cart way before the horse on Sam, but that Indy situation, just, uh, man, new coach and, you know, you got a GM fighting for his job. Uh, just, you, they hired an a... ESPN analyst during the season, Jeff. Yeah, Jim Ursay doesn't get enough uh, credit for being uh, a nosy, hands-on owner. And credit, I say that tongue in cheek. Mm. Like it just, he's just tweeting like bizarre stuff during the draft. Like, hey, do you want us to draft Will Levis? Like, dude, you just spent the number four pick on a quarterback. Like, why are you even mentioning that? I don't know. Jim Irsay is a whole different ball of wax. But we'll, we we'll take your questions on the Cowboys or the Longhorns in the NFL real quick before we transition to Ron Holland talk. Uh, I like Deshaun Jameson's fit with the 49ers for the reasons my man Matt Butler pointed out, and I actually went and looked up Deshaun's numbers. They were a little more impressive. I don't know, Matt and I might be kind of looking at the same thing, but just maybe a little bit different. Uh, Deshaun Jameson signs an undrafted free agent deal with the San Francisco 49ers. So during Jameson's entire career, I was harping on him or harping on the staff, please move him to safety or nickel where he can be around the football more and make more of an impact because he is a ball hawk and he's proven that when he gets his hands on the football, he can do really exciting things with it. Now that is up to Kyle Shanahan, the lifetime longhorn himself to that. He can, he has that power in his hands now to try to Sean Jamison at safety 
What a time to be alive. But the thing for, for me that Matt Butler pointed out, I went back and looked at the numbers, Deshaun Jameson became a really good corner in zone coverage last year. was one of the better zone coverage corners in the country, and the 49ers are a real zone-heavy defense. Uh, Deshaun Jameson allowed a 46.2 NFL passer rating uh, when targeted in zone coverage last season. Only 16 receptions allowed on 34 targets. He had two interceptions in zone coverage, five pass breakups, a total of six forced incompletions. He's really good in zone coverage. We see like he can lunge a little bit. His eyes aren't great. Like we see where he can struggle in man coverage, and his recovery speed is good. It's not elite. But I, I think safety would be a perfect fit for him. But the fact that the 49ers run a lot of zone, you know he can come in whether you want him returning kicks, whether you want him on block units, coverage units. You know he can come in and be a core special teams guy for you. Whether it's the 49ers or somebody else, I think Deshaun Jamison's making a roster. I, I've, I've thought that about him. I, I think he could – you could look back and say, wow, he, he had a better pro career than he had a college career. I really think that about Deshaun Jamison. The nice, nice thing about that signing is that it's a luxury signing because now the 49ers can use Jameson however they want versus at Texas where it's like we have no one else at cornerback. Deshaun, you got to be our cornerback one. I mean, this is the first time the cornerback death room has been what? Has been solid for Texas in how many years? And the same thing with Overshone, it's, it's right? It's been a minute, yeah. Where you need a demo to play a certain position, but now in the NFL, Overshone and Jameson can kind of be used in different ways where PK and the Texas defense – could not do that because they needed him to play a certain position the entire time at Texas because there was no depth at all on the 48 and Stoner makes a good point would Shano just take Deshaun Jameson and maybe try him on offense yeah well, like I don't know Cowboys use Jordan Lewis in like you know jet sweep action Deshaun was a wide receiver his first year yeah. on campus has the speed for it so we'll see uh so I I like and the fact that the 49ers didn't have a ton of draft picks either probably makes you think whoever his agent is I think that's probably a was a really smart destination for him uh, and then Anthony Cook signs with the Chiefs uh, I don't know if he's if Anthony Cook's going to make a roster but I think he's I think he'll be one of those guys that just based on how hard he plays the toughness he plays with I think he's gonna be one of those guys that's really hard to cut when it comes down to final cut down day so I could see him being a practice squad guy for the Chiefs or somebody else but I think he's gonna he's gonna be one of those guys that I think endears himself to a team and the coach is like man I, I really don't want to cut that guy yeah and you just kind of put that stash him away on the practice squad and just keep him around because you just like the kind of competitor he is. And then Tariq Milton's getting a, going to the Giants rookie minicamp for a tryout. Confirmed that with him yesterday. So good for him, man. Yeah, good for Tariq. Good for him. Haven't heard anything on Jaleel Billingsley yet, and I don't yeah. know that we will. So How about Eli Ricks going undrafted? And, of course, he goes to Doesn't the Eagles. Doesn't shock me. Doesn't shock me. Because now because there's a defensive back at Alabama who didn't play much and kind of fell out of favor – you got to wonder what Nick Saban told scouts and personnel when they asked him. Because if anybody's going to be honest about a player, it's going to be Nick Saban. Oh, I just wonder if this, all those injuries have just caught up to him where the, the team's got the medical on him. It's just like, yeah, he, he, he has – there's only a limit of how many NFL games he's going to play. There's yeah. a cap on his career because he suffered so many injuries at LSU. I mean, he had the incredible freshman All-American at LSU, gets injured. I think he sat out the, most of the second year, comes to Alabama – was injured in preseason with the shoulder thing. He comes in first play of the game. It's a concussion. He has not been able to sit in the football field since his freshman year at LSU. Apparently that's why Darnell Washington slid, too, is he's got medical medical concerns. Yeah. But at some point the talent's just so much that you're like, dude, I don't, I don't care. I'm going to take this guy. And if I get four years out of him and that's it, well, then I'm going to get his best four years. He's a very yeah, interesting prospect because he is a uh, large human being. 
his his draft combine tape of him of him blocking compared to Michael Mayer in Kincaid, where they're just like you know kind of inching it in Washington, just kind of just completely just blisters the blocking by like 10, 15 yards. But his catch numbers have not been great, and his injuries have not been great either. So I'm I was wondering if if Dallas Dallas was going to take a a chance on him in the second, but they went with uh, Shoemaker instead. Yeah, we'll, we'll make Inconceivable short today because I want to get into the Ron Holland stuff. So Ron Holland opens up his recruitment on Friday. Uh, Rodney Terry had a couple of really good days. You get Max Asmus, you get Caden Shedrick, you get Dylan DeSue back, and then Ron Holland pulls this. Look, I'm going to go with um, what our staff has posted. And you, if you're on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7, I'm sure you've seen this. But for those that haven't, I'll just go ahead and, and read it for you. Uh, Eric Bossy, who covers national basketball recruiting for us, uh, one of the, one of the best in the industry doing it. Bossy's really good at what he does. Um, he was at the Nike EYBL event over the weekend and was able to gather some intel. And I'll mention why I 100% believe what Bossy's talking about here in just a minute after I read this. But he says, for what it's worth, I'm in Phoenix for the Nike EYBL and did some asking around about Holland. Take it for what it's worth, but it sounds like for the past few weeks since the Nike Hoop Summit, Holland and his his family have been wanting a lot of promises over his role at Texas and opportunities that UT couldn't make promises about. Texas was in home recently and basically explained they've done all they can for him and that they've done all they can to assure him of what to expect. But if he's not happy, they can't make any more promises that if he has to do something different, they feel the program it's a strong enough one that they will find a way to move on and succeed with or without him. The reason why I buy this report from Bossy 100%, this is exactly what I was told about why Arterio Morris entered the portal. The promises. You want certain things promised. And say what you want, man. Rodney Terry's just not going to do that. That's what I was told by the person who told me that about Arterio Morris. RT's just not going to do that. I think, look, let's take Morris for a minute, right, Kim? I, I think if Arturo Morris had come back, clearly his minutes would have increased. His role would have increased. By how much, how many minutes was he going to play, how many shots per game he was going to get, you don't know that. You can't predict that and you can't promise that. When you start promising stuff like that to players, that's when you get yourself in a world of hurt, number one, because the first time you don't live up to that promise, now that player isn't content and when those other guys on that team find out that you promised that player x or promised him y or promised him z and they didn't get that same promise that's when you create issues within your locker room so i have no problem with texas taking that approach arterio morris is now at kansas good luck trying to get assurances from bill self on how much you're going to play and what your role is going to be because that's a guy that probably the first time you complain to bill self about your role or your playing time it's probably about the time you find yourself on the bench yeah. At Allen Fieldhouse. And with Ron Holland, I saw the report from Jeff Goodman this morning that it's sounding like Arkansas, which, say what you want about tampering and things like that. It's College basketball is one of those sports, Cam, that people are like, you know, you hear this said all the time, like once you find out how the sausage is made, it doesn't doesn't taste as good. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Apologize if I butchered it. I mean, in college basketball, we, we know, like, like Gen Pop knows way too much about how the sausage is made in college basketball. Like there, there is no honor amongst thieves when you're talking about tampering and things like that. But it, maybe it's Arkansas, the G League too with Ron Holland, and we can talk about NIL all we want. Same same thing with AJ Johnson. 
AJ Johnson, you had a deal who what didn't really want to go to class. Didn't really want to talk about it. college experience. Yeah. If a dude, I'd, I'd rather be a dude be honest though. Like, I don't want to go to class. And if the NBL is going to pay me a contract that's going to pay me upwards of 750 grand, yeah, it's a pretty nice one year gig before you go to the league. And I don't know what the G League is going to offer Ron Holland, but I heard in the neighborhood of what they were going to offer Greg Brown to make him make that decision to not go to Texas. And if it's in that realm, that's probably something Texas wouldn't be smart to do for NIL number one. And I don't know, quite frankly, if it's something that they could do. Again, assuming that number I told about was what I was told was offered to Greg Brown is accurate. So there's a lot of layers to this, man. I, I think for one, does Rodney Terry and that staff do they re kind of rethink the way they recruit? And and it's with these guys, it's interesting anyway, because you look at Arterio Morris, Ron Holland, by the way, those two guys are really good friends. So take that for whatever it's worth. And if Arterio Morris had a bad experience at Texas or didn't like it or was disenfranchised or whatever, was he talking to his buddy about that? I don't know. That's just pure speculation. But Arterio Morris, Ron Holland, A.J. Johnson, three guys that you took that you knew they had professional opportunities and you knew something like this could happen. So I just wonder, does it change the type of guys Rod and Terry and company go out? In other words, if you're going to go after a guy that's going to have legitimate professional options for one year before he goes to the league and talk about the one-and-done role all you want, the NBA, the next CBA has already been ratified, so it's going to be another eight years before you can talk about that thing changing again. So it's just you're just going number one in the wind. Like it just it's not going to do any good to talk about it and, and beat that point home. I just wonder if it changes the type of guys that go after. In other words, if you go after one of these guys that has legitimate professional opportunities, do you have a good enough relationship with them to fend off the people that are in their ear telling them to take that contract? Because I'll tell you what, Trey Johnson, the number one prospect in the country out of Lake Highlands, he and Rodney Terry have a really good relationship. RT's got a great relationship with that family because Trey's dad played for RT when RT was an assistant at Baylor under Harry Miller. So they've got a good relationship. Trey Johnson's going to have plenty of opportunities to go to the professional ranks if he wants to. And you, you, you have to, he's the type of guy, he's so talented, you have to continue to recruit him. Even if you sign him, you recruit him through the whistle like he's uncommitted and hope that your relationship is enough. It's... It, it's not a good situation to be in to have to think about because you you want to recruit really talented players, but at the same time, you want to avoid situations happening like what's happening right now, where you now have zero incoming freshmen for the 2023-24 season. So we'll take your questions on that. We'll get back into that. But coming back, uh, coming up next, we'll do a quick inconceivable as we wrap up our number one here on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 Inconceivable! You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. We'll make it a quick one so we can get to the 11 o'clock hour and get to Craig. Uh, thank you, Jim and Lago Vista, for this contribution. A college baseball player, Cam, was shot and wounded on Saturday. What? During a game between Texas A&M, Texarkana, and U of H Victoria. The 18-year-old player who was not immediately identified was struck by a stray bullet around 5.30 p.m. local time when he was standing in the bullpen area at George Dobson Field in Texarkana, for those who don't know, it's near the Texas-Arkansas border, Texarkana police said in a statement, quote, it appears that he, that he was, like the word was is missing from the statement, that he was struck by a stray bullet from some type of altercation in a nearby neighborhood to the west of the park. 
He was taken to St. Michael Hospital, where he is headed into surgery now, the police said. The baseball game was called, and BSA officials made the decision to end the Scout-O-Rama that was happening in another area of the park early as a precaution, end quote. The school said the player was in stable condition and that counseling services were available to other players and students. Uh, it was the senior day game for A&M Texarkana. The Red River Athletic Conference declared the game a no contest. Quote, at this time, we ask uh, that you keep our student athlete, his family, teammates, and friends in your prayers. Uh, A&M Texarkana said in a statement, Texarkana, uh, Texar- the Texarkana, Texas Police Department, a spokesman, Sean Vaughn, gosh, this is ordered really clunky, uh, told the Texarkana Gazette it did not appear anyone at the field was the target of the shooting. Quote, incredibly bad luck bad place. Uh, Kamari Butler 17 is being sought for aggravated assault following the incident on Saturday. Investigators believe he and 20-year-old DeMarco Banks got involved in a dispute outside of a home near the ball field and opened fire at each other. So jeez. Dude just standing in a bullpen minding his own business and literally catches a stray. He's trying to get warmed up. Trying to get loosened up for the game. I hope he's okay. Uh, thoughts and prayers to his family, Jeff. I mean, so that's awful, man. So unfortunate. Yeah. Sorry to have inconceivable be a downer, but that's all we got time for today. It was a quick one, but uh, we'll come back. Hour number two, light the tower on the horn, live locally and digital on the horn app at hornfm.com.